Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the South Bay Show, South Bay Spotlight, on June 4th, 2020. Live, love, laugh, and leave a legacy. That's what we do here in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and it's a beautiful place to do just This that. segment of the South Bay Show is brought to you by Your Actualized Visions. A local advertising agency, Your Actualized Visions offers all your advertising needs under one roof. From logo design, business cards, banners, and signage, to online services such as website design, SEO management, promotional videos, reputation management, and loyalty promotions, you name it and Your Actualized Visions will handle it for you on time and under budget. Built on the needs of their clients, Your Actualized Visions is competitively priced and economical, saving you money and greatly enhancing your bottom line. At Your Actualized Visions, customer service is all local with one point of contact. No more dealing with robo-answering machines, getting the runaround, or speaking to someone in another country. Your Actualized Visions understands your hyper-local advertising needs and focuses on bringing you real clients. They do not buy likes, followers, or fake results. Your campaigns are real, built with real community followers who want to purchase your services and products. The only thing standing in the way of your company's success is you now picking up the phone right now and calling your actualized visions at 310-413-8773. To learn more about what your actualized visions can do for you and your company, visit the website at youractualizedvisions.com. Your Actualized Visions, your dreams today, not someday. I'm your host, Joe Terry, and you can read all about our many adventures on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The South Bay Show. Persistence, passion, principle, and purpose, that's what we talk about here on The South Bay Show. And of course, I'm not alone because of our great partnership with South Bay by Jackie.com and executive producer of the South Bay Show, Jackie Balestra. Hey, Jackie, how are you today? I'm doing well this morning, and you? Very well, very well. Busy, busy, busy bee, but uh, great. Well, we have a big show today, and I want to get right to it, but I just wanted to mention one thing. Today is my dad's birthday. Um, If he were still with us, if he were still with us, he would be 109. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yes, he had to be very he had he and my sister a little late in life. Um so happy birthday, Dad. So does Sissy celebrate his birthday on a uh, regularly or what does she do on his birthday? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. We all we, we do the conference call. We get mom and my sisters yeah. and other family members on and we do the conference call and uh mom, mom's gonna be ninety five next month. Yeah. Mom's wow. gonna be ninety five yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so later <laughs> today we'll do our conference call and uh, and and uh, have a proper celebration. But I'm thinking, right. um, as I said, we have a big show today and a lot of important information to share. So uh, we should get to yes. it. Yes, Jackie. Who are our guests today? Okay, our guests this morning are <clears throat> okay. This morning, okay, we're really pleased to host the highest-ranking officials from the city of El Segundo. Our guests are Mayor Drew Boyles 
El Segundo Police Chief Bill Whalen, El Segundo Fire Chief Chris Donovan, and Emergency Management Coordinator Dr. Randall Collins. Now, there's been a lot going on the last three months, which every city in the country has had to contend with, but this morning, it's all about El Segundo, and our guests will bring us up to date on how they're handling the ongoing pandemic crisis and the recent civil unrest. Mayor, Chief, Chief, Doctor, welcome to the program. We are so glad you all could join us this morning. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Everybody's there. Good. Yes, gentlemen, this is uh, this is a wonderful event because people in El Segundo can hear directly uh, from you, just as if we were all in someone's living room. And we're going to start with you, uh, Mayor Bolios. Let's say, Mayor Boyles, it's it's January. We're having a little tabletop, you know, sort of uh, uh, sort of a scenario. The scenario is a global pandemic. People are shut in their homes for three months, four months, and then we're going to have civil unrest because of a of a of an event uh, halfway across the country. I know this is the word unprecedented has been repeated over and over again, but mayor, what else can we call this? Well, it's yeah. Unprecedented is definitely a great word. I'll tell you, Joe, it's interesting. Oh, by the way, Jackie, happy birthday to your dad. Um, I just want to say that going back to January, it wasn't too far from that time period where we as a city were actually planning for not that particular scenario, but disasters. Uh, and mm. going back to the, the fall, we actually had a full-blown tabletop scenario in which all of us in city staff, there were probably about two dozen people in that room, including, including the chiefs that are on today, Randy Collins, who's our emergency management coordinator. We were planning for disaster, not that particular mm. one. So in some ways, we're actually better prepared than most cities to contend with this. Um, and so while it has been, as you said, certainly unprecedented times, I felt like we were in somewhat of a unique position as a city to address it very quickly. And in fact, we did. I mean, we started, we stood up an incident management team immediately. Randy, who's on the phone, is well studied in emergency management and has done this type of work all over the country. And so he and his team took charge immediately. And, um, I felt felt good knowing that we were fairly well prepared. I don't know how you prepare for that. I don't know how pre- you prepare for both scenarios concurrently. Right. Um, and it right. has certainly been a challenge that has strained all of us in the city, certainly the community. So, um, right. Yeah, it's been strange indeed. It's it's so strange. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to each of you because there's there's an aspect. Uh, for each of you in your in your capacity with the city of El Segundo, uh, let's start with you, uh, Chief Whalen. I mean, there have been unrests of of a racial or a civil nature of various kinds over the years, but not three months after everyone's been shut in their homes and forty million Americans are out of work. It's just insane. So that has had you know, that accelerator. Tell us about that, uh, Chief Whalen, and how you, you prepared El Segundo and your and your, your officers for this unrest and whatever it is. 
Good morning. And yeah, whatever it is, is right. I, I, you know, how do we, what do we label this? Because, you know, I have a little over 30 years in law enforcement. So my formative years were around the time of the 92 riots. And in my studies over the years, I've looked into the sixties riots and this, this is, this is different. And you're, we have this um, months of telling everybody to stay home. Don't go outside okay, you can go outside for some light exercising, but don't engage in groups. Um, and as a result, we have people out of school and out of work. Uh, and then this flashpoint happens. Um, and now we have the unrest that you're seeing, which is, is probably not quite as destructive. Not probably. It's not as destructive as what we saw in 92, but significantly mm-hmm. more widespread. And because of that uh, being widespread, I think that's what causes me concern because there were, it's just not limited to one geographic location. And so that has us ready to respond. Should we see something in El Segundo or to help our partners out throughout the South Bay? Because uh, there are lots of retail around and it was literally to the day, the weekend bef- that these, the civil unrest started uh, your city leadership team in El Segundo here was working very, very hard on how do we get our businesses and restaurants open. And we went from going 100 miles an hour in one direction to having to hit the brakes and completely make a a U-turn and and go the other way. And it's just been very surreal. Uh, But I'll tell you, our community has been absolutely fantastic, completely Mm -hmm. understanding. And we have had some, some local vigils and protests that have been very, very peaceful and and I've been very, very proud of what our community has been doing the last couple of days. It, Chief Donovan, it is without question the last three months have been crazy, primarily because starting in January, February, primarily because of the pandemic, something that truly affects you. You know, Jackie and I have done many shows about the changing role of the fire departments in every community, primarily being a, a, a health, uh, a, you know, a, a sort of response with, with, uh, with uh, uh, all of the uh, issues that the fire department handles, rarely is it a full-blown traditional fire. There's many other things that the fire department uh, goes, rolls on calls. Tell us about your experience these last months, and and then, of course, they've all been exacerbated with all of these people being close together in the street. Tell us about that, Chief Donovan. Yeah, Joe, thank you. Um, this is unprecedented times for us, for sure. And, you know, we're a service organization. We rely heavily on public interaction. A lot of what we do relates to our service delivery, providing fast, efficient, effective service delivery, as it relates to fire and life safety, and it relies on our ability to interact with people. And um, the the reality is this pandemic created that one-on-one or group team that we go out as a team, that team interaction with the patient or with the business owner on perhaps a fire alarm activation or a traffic collision, um, and it really uh, changed our, our approach completely, and, the, and um, it created um, a really quick pivot in the way we operate on a day-to-day basis. And 
we were paying close attention to to the pandemic um, probably I'd say as early as um, late January, um, early February, watching um, the pandemic, um, thinking that, um, you know, there was a likelihood that it would uh, cross into uh, California and it would be, you know, quickly contained and, man, were we wrong. um, And and fortunately, um, we've got uh, a really acutely uh, attuned fire service uh, regionally here in California and and in Los Angeles County, and we work really well as a group. There are 30 uh, independent fire departments, and the fire chiefs Mm -hmm. of all 30 departments quickly got together. We started collaborating and coming up with protocols and procedures in which we would um, uh, effectively respond uh, to calls in our individual communities. And, and what we did here in El Segundo is we worked really quickly with our firefighters and, and we changed our protocols. Um, we made sure that staffing of our, of our resources was a priority and, and we were able to maintain our, our staffing every day for our response to the community. We um, mm-hmm. understood that the health and welfare of our firefighters was paramount, was really important, but it couldn't take away from the service delivery. And so we, we made a, a choice to put our, our personnel at risk, and we put them into environments mm-hmm. that, um, you know, uh, that, that were a little scary for our folks, and, and they were responding to medical aid calls of patients that were exhibiting signs and symptoms that were similar to COVID, and they were having to provide patient assessments and treatment at transport, and they did that. And what, what we did was we made sure that our protocols were in place, that um, we did health and safety checks every morning and every evening on our firefighters. When they went on calls, we did a protocol where we had one firefighter in full personal protective equipment, uh, which included goggles and gowns and gloves and the N95 or P100 masks that everybody's become familiar with, and that one paramedic would initiate patient care and, if needed, would call in additional resources, thereby limiting the exposure. And then we did a lot of decon work. Uh, after we would transport the patient to the hospital, we would decon all of our equipment, and we, we'd go through decon with our, with our fire <laughs> personnel. And we changed the way we operated in the fire stations. I mean, this is a team sport, if you will, um, in that the firefighters live together for 48 hours at a time, and um, mm-hmm. we had to change the way we were doing and operating within the fire station. Social separation, keeping six feet apart, was not, not typical for us, and yet we did that. And, um, you know, I, my hat's off to the firefighters in, in El Segundo and, and throughout Los Angeles County. Uh, we were able to maintain our service level. I think that the residents wouldn't have noticed the difference. We were there quickly. We provided exceptional service delivery. But it was mm-hmm. it was a game changer, and it's really impacted our ability to, um, you know, our, our business as usual is no longer going to be usual, and I think this will go on for quite some time. Right. Mm-hmm. It, what is your current projection for, as a fire department, as a, as a delivery of health services? Uh, what's your current projection in terms of how long you believe this will go on? Because obviously things really won't change until we get a deliverable, effective vaccine. Yeah, that's right, Joe. You know, it's interesting. We changed our protocols. Um, this goes back quite a while. When I started my career, like, like Chief Wellen, I have 31 years in the fire service. Uh, we, we initiated a change in the way we did uh, our protocols back when um, HIV AIDS 
uh, was uh, an, uh, becoming an epidemic in the community, oh, right. and, and, mm-hmm. and bloodborne pathogen was was a big deal, and it changed the way we approached in terms of the health and welfare of the patient, but also the health and welfare of of the firefighters. And you know, gloves and goggles and face masks became the norm then. This is, mm-hmm. I, I think, the next um, evolution of our of our approach for for patient care. I don't think we're going to see. Uh, um, uh, uh, a move back to the way things were. I think we'll, we'll moving forward until we get herd immunity or or we get um, immunization, and even after that, I believe that we're going to probably change the way we do patient care on the go forward um, for the foreseeable foreseeable future. And you know, mm-hmm. protecting the the employee is important, uh, but we still need to put ourselves in harm's way. So. Uh, the mm. N95 masks, um, the goggles, the obviously we wear gloves um, on every call we go on. Um, I think that mm-hmm. will maintain for the foreseeable future. But but in addition, I, I can see us continuing the decon of our apparatus and um, stations and doing <coughs> health checks of our employees uh, uh, for the next uh, I, I don't know year to two years if 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 it stops at all. Right. Right. Mm. This is, uh, as they say, that that other phrase that we hear over and over and over again, the new normal. Now, um, Dr. Collins, uh, I know that emergency management coordinator, it sounds like you were chairing those tabletop, you know, disaster uh, coordination meetings where uh, you've got fire, you've got police, you've got, uh, you know, uh, 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 the the city uh, recreation you got everybody on the table, but how do you deal with something like this? Forty million people out of work across the country, many people not sure about their jobs and their businesses, and then you know with the civil unrest. What have you planned for this, Doctor Collins? Well, first of all, you have to call me Randy, and um, okay. You know, we, we, we plan for all hazards. And so, you know, if you asked me, you know, uh, six months ago, if we were going to be, you know, dealing with, with the pandemic, uh, I would have been like, uh, you know, I, 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 that wouldn't have been on the top of my list, although it is in our emergency operations plan. But uh, mm-hmm. how we deal with it, though, is, is we develop um, our resources to understand that they are are on the hook for any hazards that uh, that may come our way, and we we do a hazard analysis and uh, try to identify those hazards that are are potential for us, and then we kind of look at that and analyze that and and understand what those impacts might be, and, and we try to develop it. But at the end of the day, I think um, the strength in in our preparedness lies in our in our training um, and. Uh, you know, a lot of people think about, oh, we're going to rise to the occasion, and and that's just not not the case. What what really happens is you, um, is you submit to your to your level of training, and luckily, mm-hmm. um, I've had the opportunity uh, here in El Segundo to have a very supportive uh, leadership uh, from from uh, Mayor Boyles, uh, the City Council, the uh, City manager and deputy city manager and all the all the department heads per, uh, really supporting the emergency preparedness program and supporting the development of our all hazards incident management team where we've been able to 
really uh, provide a lot of training to a lot of people across the city and our and our team uh, really represents the city because on our incident management team we have people from fire we have people from law enforcement we have people on our team that are librarians and from parks and rec and from public works and and the planning division so uh, we have this this great um, composition of people from across the city that we lean on and and have been able to develop their skills to to be adaptable Mm. to all hazards so when we you know when we're dealing with the pandemic and then the civil unrest comes up uh, the team was able to pivot uh, rather well because of their level of adaptability mm-hmm. well um, mayor uh, there is there is no question that you have a, a, a very uh, well uh, professional well well prepared professional team uh, in El Segundo as a city El Segundo is is known in the South Bay as being uh, not only well prepared but well managed, well-funded, one of the highest concentrations of Fortune 500 companies in the country for a city your size, what what message would you want to get to El Segundo residents about how things are going and how things are going to go for this foreseeable future where we're dealing with the pandemic still? That's not changed and on and these other issues yeah well i I like to say that we're probably the most important five square miles economically in southern california and i thank you for acknowledging that and so we all acknowledge and understand and also know that the business community is paramount so helping them get to recovery as quickly as possible is instrumental in us having the budget that we need to work with to continue to be a fully independent city with our own police, our own fire, and all those things are so important and of high value to our residents. And to our residents, I would say thank you so much. Like we've seen in so many places around the country and in the world, our residents have just been patient. They've been compassionate. They've been absolutely creative when it comes to sidewalk art and putting things up with their children in the windows and accolades mm. to the frontline workers and, and just continue to uh, stay informed. So we've been really good ever since March 13th. I started doing daily videos um, ad hoc, you know, and then the city quickly followed suit by establishing a daily protocol where we go out at a set time of day to inform our residents. Um, I, I'd like to say we're leading the, the way in the South Bay in terms of proactive communications to our community. And mm-hmm. we're doing a lot of outreach, not only to the business community, we established an economic recovery task force in late April to start working with them and a lot of other innovative ways that I could get into if you want to talk about what we're doing to embrace the, and support the business community. Um, and then with residents, it's been a lot of the same thing. We're, we're a tight-knit community. You know, a residential area is one square mile. We have almost 17,000 people. We'll see within the latest census results in one square mile. So we have a very tight-knit mm-hmm. community. And so it's, mm-hmm. we have an advantage and in terms of getting information out to people. It becomes a little bit easier for us to manage. And our, our community has been absolutely incredible resilient, even though they're dealing with hardships like they've never seen before. And um, as a business owner with multiple businesses, I'm feeling it too. I mean, 
My business went off a cliff, 50%. I lost in revenue with all seven of my entities pretty much day one when this started happening. And while we're seeing some recovery, unfortunately, we were deemed an essential business. That's happening all around us. So people are suffering in major ways, financially, emotionally. And so I would encourage people to remain optimistic and stay informed. And stay off social media as much as you can. I mean, use it to stay informed, but don't live there because yeah. there's some positive things there, but, you know, there are not some great things there as well. So, so Mia, yeah. let's yeah. – I'm sorry, Jackie. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just going to jump in there since uh, the mayor mentioned social media. Um, you know, that's kind of my life. You know, I spend, you know, most of my day – uh, managing, you know, my social media and boy, there's a lot of, uh, rumors and false reports be, you know, on uh, all over social media. And whenever I come across them, I, I go and I check, you know, I, 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 I have people in every city in the South Bay that I can call and say, is this true? Um, you know, the other day we were hearing rumors about the point being looted mayor and that was completely false. Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Chief can touch on that, but yeah, we saw that rumor and several others similar to that. Yep. It, it, it before we go back to the obviously the twin disasters that have been befalling our 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 nation in in a, in a sense, and and of course the pandemic is around the world. Mayor, can you talk about the economic climate? I mean, I I, I find it hard to believe that uh, Rock and Bruise is in trouble. The, Rock and Bruise, just saying it, um, is, is kind of unbelievable. Talk about the economic impact and where we are in that and what you see as coming in the next you know, few months. Now, this is more personal conjecture than any official position, but as a business owner myself, as I said, I'm being really tightly tied into the entrepreneur community. Um, I I think that what's going to happen is you're going to have businesses who are kind of teetering on the edge. And then you have a situation where you effectively lose all of your positive cash flow for several months at a time. The PPP will help for a while. Um, But I don't think that um, many of our businesses, unfortunately, not many, but there will be a share of our businesses throughout the country that just won't make it. And I believe that um, many will, and they'll get back on their feet. And I think the American public will want to absolutely support these small business owners, even the chains, just to keep them alive. And we'll do what we can. Personally, I visited, we set up a Gundo to Go program. We were really quick to do it. Mm -hmm. Police department, fire, public safety, or public work set up areas where people could run in you know, park, grab their food and go. I've personally done 75 plus restaurant visits of, of, in town and also going to put on a few pounds in doing so. But um, <laughs> it's, I, I think for us as a city, we're, we're trying to get a handle now because we're a lagging, we get lagging information. So we're, we're trying to look at some of our leading indicators financially, like what's happening with hotel vacancies, what's happening in LAX. Mm. I've been in close contact with the CEO, Justin, over there at LAX. What's happening with air traffic? Because that's going to be, direct effect, you know, corollary for us when it comes to TOT tax, which is a tax on hotel stays, which affects retail and restaurant, 
which affects, affects uh, many different factors, um, sales tax. And then, you know, we also have businesses. So if we lose some of our business, what happens to our business license tax, a user utility tax? And then, you know, how do companies reimagine their workspaces? Do they need mm-hmm. less space because they realize, wow, remote working actually works like the, the six of us on this phone call? tonight today you know Mm -hmm. and do they realize we don't need as much space what effect does that have on the commercial real estate market or maybe they need more space because they want to space people out within their workspace Mm -hmm. and get less you know less the cubicle so we're all doing our best to gather all this information work with the the breath the best and the brightest to figure these things out but we know it's going to have a profound impact on our city's revenues and so we are Mm -hmm. in the budget process right now doing our best to assimilate all this information. And then we're going to have to make some difficult decisions as a city. And as I mentioned early on in this call, we are unique in that we are a small city that is fully independent. That is a unique environment when you compare us to our peers in the South Bay. And we want to remain so. And our, our residents and our businesses put public safety first and foremost as a priority. They want to live in a safe mm-hmm. environment. And so, uh, anyway, we're going to have a lot to contend with, and we're working through all those challenges now. I, Joe, I have to, Joe, I, have to, I just, yeah. I just want to, Joe, I need to jump in one second. I just want to let you know that Chief Donovan has to leave us at eight forty-five, right. so um, I want to make right. sure that you can get to him before he has to go. Jackie, right. thanks for that. I actually moved my schedule around, so I, I'm available to stay. Thank you. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Okay, ignore that last statement. <laughs> No, that's fine. <clears throat> and and I I I I will get off this subject of economics because um it's 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 boring and we want to get to more uh more uh current uh topics related directly to what El Segundo residents want to know. Um so uh Chief Whalen, tell me what is the state of things? What what's your read on the uh the civil unrest and the it is so disconcerting to get these alerts on my phone about uh, curfews. <laughs> that is just incredible. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, so that yeah, that is disconcerting especially when the county uh doesn't send out accurate information all the time. So, yeah, we we share the frustration that that other people have shared with the wireless alerts that they've received. So, yeah. um Initially, the city of El Segundo uh, initiated a curfew before, well, it was the same day as the county of Los Angeles, but uh, we didn't know if the county was going to go through with it. And so we we struck out just to make sure we had ours in place to protect our residents. And as it turns out, the county uh, did enact a curfew. And so our goal since the beginning has been to uh, mirror what the county's doing unless there was a, a reason not to. And so far, there hasn't been uh, anything within our region down here in the South Bay to suggest otherwise. So we've been mirroring the county. Last night, the county pushed their curfew from 6 to 10, and they're looking at it on a daily basis. And um, while I'm not the ultimate decision maker, uh, right now what we're going to try to do is, again, mirror the county. So when the county no longer has a curfew, unless there are things going on around us that justify it, we will also not have a curfew as well. So that's at least with the curfew status, that's what's going on. Um, our police department, you know, this was <laughs> police. We're, we're fundamentally here in El Segundo 
based on our, our community and police relationships. I mean, we have a fantastic relationship with our community here. I mean, this is when I hire new police officers, I say, you know, you have to be comfortable on a Saturday afternoon going to Johnny's birthday party because they called us and said, can you have a police car come by? And then being able to go out and handle some type of critical incident. And it really takes a, um, a police officer with a wide range of skills to be successful here. And so we had to go from that to um, not being able to engage closely, as Chief Donovan mentioned, with his fire personnel as well. I mean, that's just uh, really the opposite of what we're born and bred to do. And then you go to a point where now we have to, as the enforcement arm of government, we have to enforce these stay-at-home orders and wearing mask mm-hmm. orders and all those types of things, which just really put all of us in very uncomfortable uh, positions. And we, we at El Segundo chose to, to take a warning approach first to get compliance. And uh, again, as is, uh, as is a testament to our community, they, they did it. You know, they abided by the rules. They said, look, this is uncomfortable for, for all of us, but we get it for the greater health. And so we, we had that factor going. We had to change our staffing around at the police department in order to isolate shifts so that if one person got infected with the disease that it wouldn't spread throughout the department because you, you've seen what was going on with the 14-day quarantines and everything and in a smaller size agency. That could decimate you if you had to quarantine your entire department. So we had plans mm-hmm. to deal with that. Uh, myself and the other South Bay chiefs talk almost daily. So we had plans to back up each other should any of our departments become victim to that. And uh, as I mentioned before, on a dime, we switched to now going into a a civil unrest mode, which civil unrest is not new uh, to police departments. It's something that we train for and something we're prepared for, but that's also something that's hard to do and maintain social distance and all the other protocols that we had in place to, to avoid a pandemic. But uh, as a testament to the El Segundo police officers, uh, they, they stood up and now we, we changed our staffing model again to push everybody, including myself out into a position to be in patrol where we can respond to anything at a moment's notice and that we have triple the staffing during the day and during the evening hours. And so, um, I, I, I'll just close my statement with, um, I, I said how proud I was of the community, but I got to tell you Sunday afternoon when we put this deployment plan in place and, you know, you've got a police department that's pretty weary from two months of pandemic and I had a line of officers show up. Uh, One officer in particular, uh, she had to, that night she worked her shift. She had to drive her son to Arizona because that was the nearest babysitter. So on her off hours, she drove to Arizona and drove back so that she could be here for this community. We had people cancel vacation plans uh, and I'm not saying, Hey, look at us, but I I think it's just important to highlight that when it, when the chips are down, you know, our police officers right. want to be here for this community and they want to serve this community. And I just wanted to give them a shout out because I am so, so proud of, of seeing them in action. Now, Chief I, ha- Whelan, I have to say, uh, Chief, yeah. Joe, Joe, I just want to jump. Chief Whelan, I have Please. to tell you, um, the, all of these um, protests, the peaceful protests, not, not the rioting and the looting, what I'm seeing on TV, uh, social distancing seems to have gone out the window. Um, it, it, it's like we, we dealt with this, pa- we've de- been dealing with this pandemic for almost three months. And then within a week's time, it, it's, it's no longer, everything went out the window. Every, everything went out the window. I mean, there are thousands of people gathering. Many of them aren't wearing any kind of protective equipment. Um, it, it's, 
it, it's some it's it's unbelievable to me how we just jumped from one thing to the next and pandemics on the back burner. And that's concerning. That's very concerning because the protocols that were put in place were, were done uh, so that we don't see a spike in cases and that we right. don't have to enact, uh, you know, stringent measures in the fall or at the end of summer or whatever, because we have a resurgence of the pandemic. And so, um, yes, I, I look out and see that. And I just, I just really, really hope that um, when this civil unrest or these protests are over, that we don't uh, get right back into where we were uh, a month ago. Right. Right. I have to say, uh, Chief Whalen, I think that for me, as an African-American man, this is a completely unique kind of civil unrest where not only did the local district attorney in Minnesota declare a murder was committed, that the, the, the people that are marching peacefully are times supported by the local police. Police, you see many examples of police and, and, and peaceful protesters uniting in their belief that this was unjust and so forth, and, and they're just trying to get their message out. But these other knuckleheads, as my dad used to say, these knuckleheads that are taking advantage, I love the idea of these rolling, rolling uh, 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 curfews. Is this have, have we been doing this previously, Chief Whalen? I don't remember doing this before. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Um, maybe I'm not understanding quite what the question. What do you mean by rolling curfews? You mean like how we evaluate what, this on a daily basis? Kind of how we evaluate them. Have we done this before in the, in the recent last ten years or so that we have curfews that that change? on a daily basis no we, we haven't we, we there's been you know this is when you have a curfew that's a pretty drastic step that you're taking uh and, and it really has to be taken uh when only absolutely necessary and so no I, I can't really remember a time since the 92 riots there may have been one that i'm missing but i, I don't think that that there has been one where we've done this um wow no yeah Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, Chief Donovan, thank you so much for staying with us. We want to know how your, your, uh, uh, the people under your command are dealing with their ongoing commitment to take care of uh, the residents of El Segundo and to respond to calls. What would you say to your assembled command and then their relationship with the people what would you say to them now just a conversation what what uh they should be focused on that's a, a great question joe I, I will tell you um the the men and women of the el Segundo fire department are absolute professionals and they are very dedicated to this community um you know i've had the privilege of working for three different uh, fire departments in my career and I'm really thankful, and I've told this many times in public and in private, that I'm glad that this is uh, the, the third and final uh, stop in my career because th this is such a unique community, and the mayor touched on how tight this community is. The, the, the public safety officials, police and fire, 
are equally as tight with and connected with their community and they care deeply about this community and they care about the service that they provide to this community. And, um, you know, in times of this is, this is asymmetrical approach to public safety. And I've mentioned this a few times in meetings. Uh, this has been going on for, as you mentioned early on in the top of the show, uh, over three months, having the ability of, of uh, having professionals that are resilient and are dedicated and are engaged is paramount. Um, and we have that here. Uh, I will tell you, we have recognized the need uh, of making sure that our folks are okay. And uh, we've spent extra time talking about the health and, and welfare and the wellness of our employees. And uh, we're fortunate that we're in, in combination with the police department. We have a really good uh, assistance program for our, um, for our personnel that is uh, a voluntary and it's confidential. And we've been over communicating the need for mental health of our, of our firefighters. And we'll continue to um, continue that effort of, of the health and wellness of our employees. Um, but overall, I'm just uh, I'm really proud of the fact that when times were very uncertain, and there there was a period um, early on in COVID-19 that uh, there was more that was not known than than what was known, and there was some fear within the employee groups having to put themselves in harm's way on medical aid calls, and our folks didn't hesitate. They they did not um, flinch. They were uh, engaged. They leaned in. Uh, they understood the importance of providing exceptional uh, health care to our community, um, and uh, that that is maintained um, throughout this um, pandemic. And I'm very, very proud of those efforts. Um, and and I, I think that um, we're a healthy organization, and and because of that, uh, we are able to continue uh, this pace and continue to keep a positive and optimistic view and. And I uh, had dinner last night with the crews here, and they were upbeat, and they were in good spirits, and um, I'm, I'm happy to see that. And, you know, our, our job, number one, is to make sure that, the, um, that our community feels safe, that when they pick up the phone and dial 911, that the fire department will be there in a very fast way, and that we will provide exceptional service, and, and that's the case. And we'll continue to do that uh, uh, for the for the long run. We're, we're in this for the long haul and we're able to maintain this pace and we're able to maintain the service delivery um, in the worst worst possible environment there is with both uh, COVID-19 and a civil unrest um, uh, facing us. Great, great. Jackie, uh, it, it yes. seems that uh, El Segundo is uh, in good hands. Yes, it certainly does. They are in good. They're in very good hands. It, as we all know, we like to call El Segundo Mayberry. Uh, and, you know, if you have your local police force stopping by uh, Johnny's birthday party, yeah, I would say they live up to the name. Um, I, want to, I want to get to Dr. Dr. Collins. Um, Dr. Collins, um, in your role um, as emergency management coordinator in California, what's the number one thing we think about? Earthquakes, right? I mean, everybody, for forever and ever, uh, be prepared. Uh, Joe and I did a show for many years with George Butts, who was the CERT uh, coordinator for Manhattan Beach, 
And every Tuesday we had a show. It was called uh, Preparing for Disaster in America. And we had people from all over the country. And we talked about every type of emergency, tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding, fire, pandemics, um, or, you know, and earthquake was always, you know, top of mind. So I took all of the, I learned a ton during those programs from professionals from all over the country. And I took it to heart and I prepared. And we know that the PSAs that run occasionally uh, have three days of enough food, water, medication, et cetera. Well, from what the experts we talk to, they say at a minimum have two weeks of, of whatever you need to survive. Because if, if, if it's really bad, you have to be on your own. Um, I, again, took this to heart. I prepared, I've got the 55-gallon water barrels, I've got the fire extinguishers, I've got the generator. I have enough food for at least eight weeks. So when this pandemic happened and everybody was running around like chickens with their heads cut off, um, you know, looking for toilet paper, of all things, um, I, we, we, we were sitting pretty. I didn't leave the house for 10 weeks. I didn't have to because um, we were prepared. Uh, Dr. Collins, tell us, Tell us what lessons we're learning from this. Well, I definitely think that we are um, <clears throat> we are learning uh, to be prepared. I think uh, we get lulled into a um, a comfortable com- uh, level of comfort uh, across the board, where you know we hadn't had a major earthquake in a long time, and we, quite frankly, we hadn't had uh, a lot of any incidents for a long time, and. Uh, even even the responders uh, that I'm dealing with and the disaster service workers that I'm dealing with, a lot of them are like, hey, I, I went through all this training. You were putting on this training, this prepared, and I'm, I'm sitting in this training class going, this will never happen. I'll never use this skill uh, and that sort of thing. And, and now they're singing a different tune, and I don't think I'll have that problem anymore. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> even with the community, though, it's, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, uh, uh, complacency, and now uh, I think that they are realizing the importance of, of being prepared. And so you know, uh, I think you see them, even even with the duration of this pandemic, um, I think you saw the community learn and, and understand, okay, I do have to have uh, some supplies on hand that will get me through because what if this takes a turn for the worse? And so that's why I think you did see a lot of the surge for the, the toilet paper and the hand sanitizer and the bleach and, and that sort of thing. And um, uh, so now that they are prepared, they're going to, uh, you know, hopefully we've stabilized a little bit uh, and they don't feel the need to rush the Costco or, or whatever store um, because they're feeling a little bit more prepared. But we also have to uh, still be concerned for, you know, the, the part of the community that uh, unfortunately can't prepare uh, because of financial restrictions or whatever the case may be, especially in the case where we have uh, people that have lost their jobs and, and that sort of thing. So, or, or maybe people live in a, a very small apartment and can't stock up for two weeks uh, kinds of things. So uh, they just don't have this, the physical space and, and so forth. So some things that uh, we've learned, but some things that uh, we still need to forge ahead with uh, in terms of emergency preparedness. It's interesting. Uh mentioning earthquakes we had a 5.5 yesterday like on top of all this that's that was the last thing we needed i a friend of mine i saw she commented on social media pandemics riots now earthquakes i'm out of here 
I don't know where she's going to go, <laughs> but uh, she, she, she's not going to be. She's not going to be here. Um, Chief Whalen, would you just run through? Ha, have there been any incidents in El Segundo? Have there been any incidents of riots or looting or or anything like that? No, we haven't uh, whatsoever. What we have had is peaceful gatherings. Uh, we've had two so far, and I think we have a couple more scheduled this weekend. And I, I said it before uh, about being proud, and I, I'm very, very proud. The people who organized these, they reached out to us. They said we want to do this. And, I, and I'm telling you, and, and I want the community to hear this, we unequivocally support your right to do this without hesitation. We, it would be nice if you let us know so that we could – help you and help facilitate and make sure that you're doing it in a manner that's safe. But that's what we've seen here in El Segundo. We haven't um, seen what, what has happened in other parts of the country, but watching the news and, you know, I continue to pray every day, but for the last now, what, three days uh, we've seen where the looting has subsided and it's just the peaceful marches that are seeming to prevail. And, Let's let's keep hoping for that because that's how we get that's how we change the needle or move the needle and that's how we continue the dialogue that needs to occur is through peaceful means and through listening to each other, understanding each other's viewpoints and that's what we have here in El Segundo and that's what I've seen here. But that being said, we still we still don't want to drop our guard uh, at least for the foreseeable future and we want to make sure that there aren't people who want to come from outside our area into El Segundo mm-hmm. to do harm because we're, we're not going to allow that. Well, that brings me to my next question because um, I, I've been getting uh, all of these uh, memos from, ver- you know, all of the police departments and most of the police departments in the South Bay, and the curfews really seem to be working. I re- read some reports from Torrance and Redondo Beach where the curfews with businesses closed and people staying at home, the police are better able to discern people coming into their town that want to cause trouble. Um, and from, from these other cities, they've really nipped it in the bud. You know, um, people aren't supposed to be out. That's what a curfew is. Nobody's supposed to be on the streets. So, so it's easier for law, for law, law enforcement to, to watch what's going on. What has been your experience with that, Chief? You, you are absolutely 100% correct. When – you see cars out at 11 o'clock or midnight or one in the morning, they're not supposed to be there. So that uh, is definitely cause to investigate and see what they're doing. And we haven't had any issues in our city. We've, we made several car stops, but uh, some of our neighboring cities have stopped people. Uh, and I laugh because one car in particular, uh, this one person was wearing a, a Patagonia jacket with the tag still on it from REI. And I believe it was Santa Monica uh-huh. where he had looted earlier in the day. So, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, these people are, are seeming to want to act with impunity. And, but fortunately, in the South Bay, we, we do have the resources in place to intercept these people. Um, and it hasn't been widespread. These are just kind of one-offs and isolated things that have happened over the last, actually not even the last few evenings. It was Sunday night and Monday night, but lately we haven't seen that. So I, I think we've turned the corner. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. And another thing that um, I, I was super impressed with, and again, I don't know if this is uh, City Public Works or the Fire Department or the Police Department. I don't know who does this, but in Torrance, they had literally barricaded access to the Del Amo Fashion Center and, and other targeted 
you know, structures with their buses and trash trucks and street sweepers, all of this big, all of these big uh, uh, vehicles. Um, did did El Segundo have to do anything like that? Did you did you set up points, uh, checkpoints uh, to to the entrances of your city or anything like that? I don't know. Who no, we did, we, we did. That well, I'll start, and if somebody else wants to jump in, no, we did, we didn't do that. Um, and that's a, that's a that's a very difficult decision because on one hand, we have businesses that are suffering, who have suffered. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the mayor mentioned, revenue just fell off the charts, and people are teetering on whether or not they will actually be able to survive. So we, we want to help them. We want to encourage them. We want to support them. Yet at the same time, we want them to be safe and not lose all their inventory should something happen. So uh, it's a very difficult decision. I've been asked by people, should I board up? And I've really taken a neutral stance on it. I, I really think that's a personal decision that each business owner needs to make based on their tolerance for risk and what they see going on around them. Uh, but I haven't gotten enough information that I believe it would be worthy of shutting down parking lots to, to markets or anything like that. We feel that by putting our police cars in these areas strategically, that that will serve as a deterrence for bad actors wishing to do us harm. Um, mm-hmm. and All right. So that's, that's the stance that we've chosen to take here. All right. And it's working. It's working. Mayor, um, would you give us a quick rundown on the programs you mentioned, Gundo to Go?, uh, that that the city has in place. I'm sure that you have things set up to help with uh, the elderly and infirm. Uh, if anybody needs help outside of emergencies, can can you just give us a a quick rundown on on what the city, how the city is helping out with these programs? Absolutely. But so for the um, older population, we very quickly set up before the state announced any uh, meal delivery programs. We had a program that was sponsored by Rotary Club in El Segundo, really active members of our community in coordination with the city in Rexham Park specifically to deliver food to um, senior citizens in town, do the grocery shopping for them, deliver meals. We have, we're very fortunate that we have our own senior housing facility in El Segundo with roughly 100 residents. So Chief Donovan did an incredible job of isolating that facility in terms of establishing risk protocols, making sure that that vulnerable part of our population was safe. Uh, and so, the again, we've had more volunteers than need in our city. As I stated earlier, we're so fortunate to live in such a great, compassionate town. So people are being well tended to, and as it, as it uh, relates to programs we've set up, just last night, the city council adopted a resolution that, that I proposed oh, probably three or four weeks ago now, where we realize that businesses are struggling. And we also know that businesses will be determined in the next year or so where are they going to locate, some that are growing, some that are just starting up. And to, to re, continue to reinforce our competitive advantage is that we think the best place to do business in Southern California, we're offering a money-back guarantee. So basically our business license tax, which can be significant based on if you have lots of employees and square footage, although we're certainly less expensive than some of our peer cities. Um, if you're not happy, completely satisfied once you move here, because we know that you, we're absolutely confident that businesses will love 
being here just based on the size and the strength of our business community. <clears throat> the business should move here and they're not happy. We're going to give them their money back. So that's kind of a unique program that we just unanimously approved last night. We also, I mean, you said it earlier, Joe, we have all these incredible businesses, Fortune 500. We have two professional sports right. teams. So we held a town right. hall virtually, of course, with Congressman Ted Lou, State Senator Ben Allen. I moderated. We had Luke Robitaille of the Kings, Kelly Cheeseman, who's COO of AEG Sports. We had Dr. Patrick Soon-Shung, who's the second wealthiest Angelino and an incredible biomed uh, philanthropist and entrepreneur and also the CEO of the LA Times. So we had all these businesses represented, and it was a really open forum with our elected officials. Like, what do you need to succeed? So I think we're in a unique position given the relationships that we have with our businesses in town to be able to help them. So we're going to continue to do that. I mentioned the recovery task force that we set up and, um, and actually the council, each member of the council is reaching out. We have a list and we're reaching out to businesses individually saying, what do you need from us? How can we help you be successful? The other thing is we established metrics. We said we need to, we directed staff, we need to clear the hurdles for business. Oftentimes, even though El Segundo, I think, is nimbler and faster than most, oftentimes government kind of can get in the way and slow things down and provide barriers. So, no, we need to clear these hurdles as a council. We agreed, all of us, whatever we need to do, let businesses succeed. So when they get open up to 25 or 60% capacity for restaurants, for example, as we're seeing now, let them use the street. Let them use the sidewalk. Let them use parking lots. Do whatever we need to do to make sure that our businesses succeed. And our community so far is being really supportive of that. We are, we're actually measuring how quickly do our businesses get up and running once they're able to do so and how many of those businesses choose to open up once they're able to do so as an indicator of our ability to help our business community. So we're, I believe we're taking a really proactive approach in terms of working with them really really closely. Well, Joe, it sounds to me like the city of El Segundo is in very good hands, and we need to yes. wrap this up. Yes. Um, thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we have covered, I think, all the major areas. Is there anything that uh, any announcements Joe, any of Joe, you can would I like to add? make? Yeah. So this is Drew, Mayor Drew. I'd like to add something. I just want to acknowledge Chief Whalen. He made a bold move yesterday. We had a peaceful group of protesters, a lot of high school students, about 100 or so. I marched with them for a while from the high school through town. Um, and then they called me back to that group to, to talk to them in the middle of Civic Plaza. So I did. So I walked within the circle and you know, I answered some tough questions from people, all people, people of color, all people. And about our city and what we're doing to address use of force, et cetera. And, but I just want to acknowledge Chief Whalen. He, he embraced, as he mentioned, the protests. He worked with people. He is continuing to work with people that want to express their opinions um, peacefully. And he also was with them, um, you know, with Black Lives Matter, supporting their movement. So I just want to, you know, take a moment to thank you, Chief, for your your bold, um, your bold stance, and that's all I want to say. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Fantastic, fantastic, gentlemen. It's been um, an amazing hour. I think El Segundo really, truly is in good hands, and they can hear uh, this 
truth and this and 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 these statements from you and share them with their neighbors share them with their friends around the country wherever they might be and that's uh extremely valuable because that can help other communities so thank you very much uh mayor drew boyles el segundo police chief bill whalen el segundo fire chief chris donovan and emergency management coordinator dr randall collins thank you so much for joining us Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Thank you. And Jackie, great show. Always a pleasure, Joe. All right. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>